Hey, my name is Julia, and welcome to the Freelance Dietitian Podcast. I left my full-time clinical dietitian job to pursue freelance work, and now I'm showing you how to do the same. If you want to learn how to make money freelancing, you're in the right place. Hey, hey, welcome to season two of the Freelance Dietitian Podcast, y'all. So excited to be back. So obviously have a new sound coming into this season. That is a track my older brother wrote for me. It is a different vibe than season one. It's a little bit more mellow, a little bit more mature, if I do say so myself. And I kind of like it. I kind of like that it's creating this like safe space that you can just mellow out into, learn something new, and listen to amazing dietitians who have so much wisdom to share about freelancing. This season, I am all about getting other RDs behind this microphone because for me, there is nothing more inspiring than listening to other dietitians who have had like similar fears and worries that I may have had as a freelancer. And then they're in the winner circle. They're so successful and they have so much knowledge to share. So those are the types of people that I plan to bring back on the show. I've also had a request to bring back some more mental health topics. So I'm going to ask Keith to be joining us again and lots of amazing opportunities. I think I'm going to give out stickers for the podcast. I don't know. I think of doing like a promo. So let me know. Send me a message if you think that would be cool. I think stickers are awesome. I'm a big scrapbooker. So obviously I love anything like a like stationary oriented or sticker oriented. But send me a message if you think that would be cool. Last year, my goal was to get 300 downloads on the Freelance Dietitian podcast. And that is a completely arbitrary number. It was just a random one I picked for myself that I really wanted to reach. I am so happy to say we went way above 300 downloads, guys. And it's all thanks to you. Thank you so much for tuning in every week and for listening. It means a lot. If you like the show, please consider dropping a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It does help get more traction for the podcast. Um, I don't get any kickbacks from it. It just helps to boost it in the algorithm and helps other RDs who want to learn more about freelancing potentially find the show. This year, I want to get at least 2,000, maybe 2,500. Heck, why not 3,000? Let's keep it with the threes. Again, that number is completely arbitrary. I just find it really motivating to uh, to have a, a goal in mind, and it just keeps me hungry when I'm creating these podcasts and when I'm screening possible interviewees for the podcast because I really want to produce high-quality work that you guys find really helpful. So, so that's the vision for the podcast this year. Um, for today, I'm really excited to say that I have my first guest interview of 2022, and her name is Sarah Kerr. She's a registered dietitian and the CEO and founder of her business, The Kerminator. Sarah has completed formal art training prior to receiving her nutrition credentials, and she brings both her artistic talents and nutrition knowledge to her nutrition business. Sarah is a successful freelance nutrition artist, in her, and she specializes in video creation and editing, illustration, and graphic design. Welcome to the Freelance Dietitian Podcast, Sarah. It's such an honor to have you on the show. I think listeners are going to be really excited to hear more from you because you have such a fresh spin on the dietitian role. Can you share a little bit about your story of how you've combined art and becoming a dietitian? Um, yeah. And uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm excited and honored to be kind of part of your kickoff to season two. Super exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far back to go. Um, I guess way back in the day, I didn't know what a dietitian was. Um, so kind of like going back to those days, 
Um, I fell in love with art in high school, um, but I didn't really love the vibe of college. So I ended up not going to school for art. I've just kind of studied on my own. Um, out of high school, I started working at a studio that was, they make custom chef coats and it's a small business. So they kind of let me learn a whole lot of different skills. I learned, you know, um, embroidery, digitizing, photography, website building, SEO, whole bunch of like random skills. Um, so I felt like I was already learning a lot there. And I also did some freelance art on the sides of like, you know, illustrations for people that I knew. Um, my first ever illustration was for uh, my my local mechanic. <laughs> cool. Um, and then I met my husband on the internet and moved myself out to Oregon. So I was living in New York, moved across the country and started freelancing out here, doing illustrations and paintings and that sort of thing. But it never was really enough to pay the bills. So I took jobs in like warehouses and doing school portrait photography and like more labor intensive jobs. And I was getting tired of those sorts of jobs and just like not finding it fulfilling, obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I decided to look into school. My husband kind of gave me the advice of like, you know, you could spend your whole life trying to decide what to do, or you can just jump into something and figure it out. Um, so I ended up researching a whole lot of different careers and came across dietetics and something about it just clicked. I loved the idea of like using nutrition to help prevent disease. Um, and it's, you know, frustrating seeing family or friends, um, like, not live their fullest life due to, you know, preventable nutrition related diseases. So I really like was drawn to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I saw a lot of opportunity for like applying my creative skills. Cause you know, a lot of, you know, healthcare professionals, they're busy with the patient care aspect of things and don't necessarily have the time to, you know, do the more creative things or create, you know, well-designed handouts or resources for, for patients. So I saw an opportunity with that. That's amazing. That is so on the nose too. I think we all are drawn to nutrition for so many different reasons. And of course the practical elements are incredible. And I think you're, you're spot on too with identifying a big gap, which is that so many RDs uh, are clinically inclined and they have the creative maybe spark inside them, but they just don't have time to make resources and all of those handouts. So it's amazing that you notice that and that you're jumping into that space and I didn't know that you were originally from the East Coast, so you really are the per best person to ask, which is best, East Coast or West Coast? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the best, but... <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I definitely, like, not to get on too much of a tangent, but I, I miss the, the weather of the East Coast, the snow. Yeah. yeah, lots of rain out West, right? That's what they yeah. say. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So I'm not sure. I mean, as far as my own circle of dietitian crew, and obviously I do have more of a clinical background. I don't know a lot of RDs who do dive into the art side of nutrition. So I think you're so ahead of the game in terms of, you know, this whole new frontier. I think that's booming now that more dietitians are getting onto the digital space. And I also think with that, you probably have really advanced skills in the tech and editing space. Um, and I think so many RDs want to dive into there. I mean, I'm thinking of TikTok. I'm thinking of YouTube. Everybody's getting a YouTube channel these days. Mm -hmm. Am I right in guessing that that could potentially be a really lucrative area for I'm, RDs to dive into? I feel like it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely foresee that taking off a lot more than it is. 
Absolutely. I think it's the future too. And so how did you start to learn about some of those specific like video skills or tech skills? Um, I started kind of tinkering with iMovie and stuff when I got my first laptop back in 2007 and I made my own YouTube channel. That's like how long the Terminator has existed. Um, and I made like this really crappy animation <laughs> and it's not a public video anymore because back in the day I, you know, used copyright music. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's just kind of like a lot of, you know, watching things and then looking up tutorials on how to do it and just playing around. And so I've just kind of tinkered with it a lot over the years. A lot of self-education, it sounds like. Just the passion led you there and you just dove in. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. And do you have any insight and predictions into what specific job trends within that video space might take off, especially in the nutrition side? Like what would those jobs even be called if someone was interested in Googling them and researching it them themselves? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And I don't know that I have a good answer on it. Um, but I definitely, um, anticipate video being a huge part of healthcare moving forward. Sure. <clears throat> I don't know like about you, but like when I have a health concern or something, I usually go to the internet first and, um, there are a lot of people on YouTube. There's a lot of people on the internet and healthcare professionals really need to take up more space on these platforms. Um, so like, self-produced courses that you're teaching skills to other professionals or, you know, in the nutrition space, a lot of dietitians are trending towards, you know, doing a, a hybrid of um, in-person or like virtual one-on-ones as well as creating courses so that their clients can kind of follow those along um, with uh, in-between sessions. So you have kind of like courses to kind of keep them moving through their, your program. Yeah, so true. That's cool too. And so that's like a very educational style of using these video platforms for sure to kind of complement like a private practice or anybody who's in a healthcare role. And then also there's a lot of opportunities for working with brands and media exposure, right? And just becoming the voice of nutrition. Like in Ontario, we have our gal, Abby Sharp. I think she was way ahead of the curve um, and she dove in and she really is a go-to person. Like if I do have a question about something that's trending, I, I love watching her videos because they're so entertaining. She's so cute. And they're also extremely factually accurate and, and helpful. Yeah. I like watching Abby's videos too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like so many different directions to take it in, which I think is cool too. Um, especially with brand work. I mean, I know on TikTok, everybody is there. I'm like a lurker. I do not have a TikTok. I don't know if I will ever want, maybe never say never. Um, but I do see a lot of RDs partnering with brands there. And I think it's becoming more accepted within the RD profession to start working with brands because I know for the longest time it was really discouraged because you don't want to be abusing your, your status of power as a provider, I guess, to seem biased and promote a certain product. So I mean, obviously we have to be mindful of that um, and be honest when we give those recommendations. But again, I see it, I see it exploding in the video space for sure. Yeah. And I think like, you know, as you kind of grow your, your following that it, it's okay to like be very selective about who you work with and mm -hmm. you for sure should. And it doesn't hurt to like, if you believe in a brand, reach out to them. Like yes. you don't have to wait for them to come to you. Yes, that is great advice. I love that. And so, so how does freelancing play a role in your business, Sarah? Um, so freelancing has kind of always been a big part. Um, I've never really had the, the, the click where it has been able to fulfill my bills, but um, it's always been a big part of my business. And, you know, people find me 
through, you know, just word of mouth and that sort of thing. Um, I also utilize um, freelance platforms. Right now I'm on Upwork and Fiverr. Um, and I've used, uh, what is it called? Um, Thumbtack in the past, but I don't particularly care for it. I think they're too expensive. Um, and then I've also found people on Craigslist. <laughs> cool. Um, in the past. I don't know if I'd recommend that these days. I haven't dabbled in Craigslist in a while, but um, yeah, all sorts of different ways to to find people and and do that. Cool. And so when you're working or, or like connecting with a client, can you maybe walk through the step-by-step process? Because I know a lot of listeners are really interested in freelancing, but maybe they don't even, they're not able to visualize what it would mean to have a contract come up with a client or even talk to them. So would you mind giving an example of what your process looks like when you're talking to a new potential client? Sure. So essentially it starts off with like just a, a discovery call or an email, just reaching out like, what is your project? And we kind of go over <clears throat> whether or not I'd be a good fit for it because you know as an artist I have specific styles so if you're looking for a graffiti artist then I'm probably not the right artist for you my work tends to be more you know technical drawings and um, real realism um, but then once we determine whether or not I'd be a good fit we can put together an estimate and a framework of what your project would look like kind of negotiate what that's going to involve um, and then like a set up milestones and payment plans and start in on the process. We'll do a bunch of research and dive into, you know, whether we need to talk about color palettes or yeah. um, layout and that sort of thing. And then, yeah. Wonderful. That's, that's so, that was such a great in-depth answer that was summarized so beautifully. And it just shows like the full range of how much you offer in your business, Sarah. That's amazing. And, and, I know a lot with creators, it's really important to declare in the contract, you know, who will own the rights to the finished mm -hmm. uh, piece that you've created, whether it's writing or whether it's something visual or a video. How do you navigate that with your clients? Um, I generally ask them like, you know, I don't really have a value in keeping any ownership of super custom pieces. Like I... Mm -hmm did a like an illustration for you know someone like of someone's dog like I have no reason to keep rights to that I just ask them that can I use this in my portfolio yeah um and yeah I just we just talk about it up front you know what can I use this in my portfolio if not okay I'll not do that <laughs> yes yeah yeah perfect I think that's great I think that's really is a really like motivating reason to have that conversation is at the end of the day at bare minimum building up your portfolio is huge because there's nothing that's going to sell yourself more to clients than them reviewing your past work that you've done and also just seeing that you're a real person because I do think in the digital space as much you know fodder and proof that you can have that you're a real business a real entity online the more helpful it is and the more clients are willing to work with you yeah and yeah. I'm just thinking now about like a client that I had in the past, they were having me do um, graphics for their website. So obviously they wanted, you know, the rights to these, they wanted the original files um, because it's like, this is their, their brand. They wanted these like sim style people for oh. like, this moving company sort of thing. Cool. And so obviously I wasn't going to use that for anything else, but it's good to like have that conversation up front. So that way you're not like in the 10 years down the line, you're like, Oh, well, I wonder if I could reuse these illustrations for something. It's like, no, we've already set in stone that this is not for any other use. This was for them. And that's the end of it. 
Yeah. So good. So important to have those foundational pieces laid out in your business early on when you're a freelancer. It just keeps everyone safe and happy at the end of the road, right? Mm -hmm. So moving on here, I have another question for you, Sarah. Do you have, or have you ever experienced moments in your freelance pursuits where you feel frozen or unsure? And how did you overcome that? Because I think that many of us have been in that position and I'd love to hear your tips on how you can move beyond that mental roadblock. Um, first of all, yes, all the time. <laughs> um, with freelancing, you kind of like create and define what your job is. And because of that, it's limitless. You have infinite options in front of you. So it can be difficult to decide what to do. So it's like, I compare it to staring at a blank canvas. You know, if you don't have parameters in place, you're going to stare at that canvas and wonder what to do with it. Um, and we get stifled by those endless possibilities. So it's to not get hung up with the, you know, analysis paralysis. Um, just remind yourself that you can spend literally decades thinking about the exact right way to go about doing something, or you can just jump in and figure it out. Um, and then I also have this annoying habit of spreading myself across multiple ventures. So um, try your best. <laughs> if I can give you any like advice, um, commit to one thing and focus on it, master it, and then add something else in. And I'm still working on that. It's like, it's so hard not to have that squirrel brain of like, Ooh, I want to go do that too. Um, but just notice that you're doing it, be mindful of it, stop yourself <laughs> And, you know, I don't know how to, <laughs> yeah. And, up, and go with like, that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, I was just letting you finish your thought, but I couldn't agree more. I think, especially when you're a solopreneur and you're the only woman or man or individual behind your business, it's so easy to, um, it, especially on something that you're not getting instant gratification from. <laughs> it's yeah. so easy to start looking at other places. And then also on social media, I mean, I'm so guilty of this. I see what everyone else is doing and I can't help it. The seed yeah. gets planted in my brain, like whether I want it or not. I'm like, oh my gosh, that person's starting X campaign or this video thing. And I'm like, oh, like I should do that one day, you know, and I yeah. hear my brain working and it's like, it's no like, jewels. Drop everything. Yeah. <laughs> Start doing that. It's like, no, yeah. Sometimes it is like that. I totally get it. It's so hard. You have to have like good discipline and be really help, really like accountable to your planning and scheduling. For me, that's been like the secret ingredient. Because then I know like, okay, a month, next month, I'm actually going to get to work on that next project. And then I feel kind of like satisfied and I can mosey along, but mm -hmm. everyone is different. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Sarah, I'd love to hear some examples of the different types of projects that you're working on that combine your love of nutrition and art. Sure. Um, so a recent project that I was a part of, but it's kind of been on hold for a few weeks just with the holidays. Um, is a school district's farm to table nutrition project. So they have like a variety of assets that they need reworked and redesigned. Um, it's kind of a, like a educational board display for, it's aimed at like teaching students about where their food comes from and all the people that are involved in bringing it to them. So it's like a map of the state with, um, you know, farmers and it's just like this educational board, but the assets that they need reworked are um, kind of dated looking. So they need someone to like look over them and give them kind of a, a refresh. So that's one thing I'm involved in. Um, and then on more personal project side, I have a YouTube channel and this month I'm diving into 30 videos in 30 days and it kind of ties in with my analysis paralysis issue. <laughs> um, 
to kind of like break down that, you know, I'm always thinking of ideas, but I'm never like putting it into action and doing them. So um, I didn't do any pre-filming or preparation. So it's kind of like I come up with the idea, I film it, I edit it, and I post it all in a day. And um, the whole aim of my YouTube channel that I'm trying to pivot towards is helping people who are starting from step one of not knowing anything about dietitians or how they might be able to help them and sort of build people's knowledge up about nutrition. Um, and then aside from those two things, I also love illustrating. And last year I set up a shop on my, my website. So kind of like as a fun side project, I'm designing nutrition and dietitian related t-shirts and slowly adding like an original artwork and that sort of thing. Amazing. Yeah. I was going to say today that I actually have one of Sarah's t-shirts and I highly recommend them. It's uh, It has script on it and it says, this is what a dietitian looks like. And the arrow goes up to my face and I love it. And I knew Sarah instantly that you are into art because obviously I knew beforehand, but when I was selecting a color for that shirt, mauve was an option. And I'm like, oh yes, only an artist would add this as a color option for a t-shirt. I so appreciated it. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm like, that is not a color that is used enough. So yeah, it's a beautiful color. I love it. My boyfriend always is like, oh, what a great color. And I'm like, right? Like Sarah picked this. <laughs> so that's great. So if you guys ever want some swag, definitely check out Sarah's store. I absolutely recommend. I love that shirt. Thanks for the promo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and then I wanted to tie back to something I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about the, um, like trends in the nutrition field. So yeah, sure. as far as like art goes, the reason why I'm like pursuing art within the field of nutrition is that people connect to things in all sorts of different ways and you never know how something's going to click with someone. Um, and art in all forms is a means of communication. So I think that's an avenue that has a lot of potential to connect with a lot of different audiences. Um, and then another thing that I see trending is there was a viral image recently of a black fetus drawn by a medical illustrator. Um, his, I believe his name is Cheetah Bere Ibe. And so many people um, said that they had never seen a black fetus in their medical books ever. Mm -hmm. um, the default is usually white. So I think representation is seriously lacking in a lot of medical fields, including dietetics. Yeah. So portraying diversity in our textbooks, educational materials is something that I'd like to see continue increase. And even with like portraying culturally relevant foods. So other avenues for lots of people to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. There, absolutely. Yeah. That was a perfect summary of it. So many opportunities to dive in there. I, was just scrolling through Instagram today and I saw that the empowering dietitian Instagram account, mm -hmm. uh, Jess, I, I don't remember her last name, Serdikov. She's a dietitian, but she made a post that it was like perfect. And she just said, you know what, whether you like it or not, like nutrition is political. It, mm -hmm. Healthcare is political. And, you know, RDs have a real opportunity to get in there and have a lot of dialogue about that because it, it starts like there's so many socioeconomic factors that influence how we eat like how we prepare our food. So, mm -hmm. so definitely. And art is huge, right? Art is like the, the people's language and communication style. Like that's why art has existed for all these centuries. And it's such a vital component of society and propelling us forward. It can't only be the science heads, right? Yeah. Art and culture is such a vital role of that as well. I mean, I definitely believe that. So I think the work you're going to do is going to be epic and you're going to be such a phenomenal, phenomenal leader in this space. Appreciate it. Appreciate you saying it that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pipe me up. I need it. <laughs> yeah. Go, Sarah, go. <laughs> 
Okay. So, so I think that's wrapping us up for today. Thank you so much for joining me today. I learned so much. I'm sure that the listeners are going to learn a lot too. Did you want to share your socials or do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Um, I think I rambled plenty, <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Um, and yeah, you can find me on Instagram at the.curminator or YouTube as the Kerminator, all one word. And there's two R's in Ker. <laughs> yes. And Sarah also has a really great Facebook group. Just last night, we did our first kind of monthly touch base with other creatives within the dietitian community. What's the name of your page again, Sarah? It's called Artists and Creators in Dietetics. Yes. And it's so great. It was just like such a safe space to go and have an open discussion about you know, some gripes within the profession, but also how are we going to, how are we going to make ourselves successful as creatives in this space, which I really thought was an amazing place to be in. So if you're also a creative, uh, look us up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That wraps us up for the first episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, I am interviewing my, one of my idols, Anna Reisdorf, I'm already fangirling. I can't even get her name out of my mouth. <laughs> she is a hugely successful freelance writer. So stay tuned for that, especially if freelance writing is an area you're interested in. You do not want to miss it. Okay, bye.